1: pod damn america the gothic socialist podcast for the stupid children um i why am i still saying it like that i don't know our podcast had (laughs) 10 different intros in the last six months i don't remember what that joke was about uh hi jake flores here um i uh am quarantined in the glue factory apartment where the uh the virus can't survive i think is what's going on um Anders Lee's here. Anders Lee here. Are you quarantined, Anders?
2: I'm quarantined in a TV network. That ain't no good. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Was uh, people who work
1: in TV have to keep coming to work no matter what? The real heroes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have special guest
0: Benjamin Dixon. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm quarantined also at home. I have self-quarantined my entire family. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. This is really making like our culture of uh, Twitch streams and parasocial entertainment kind of worse Mm -hmm. because now we're the only people that can safely work, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, I guess America's just going to have to deal with more content. Anyways, uh, Ben, I know you're the host of uh, your podcast, The Benjamin Dixon Show. Um, yeah. I also I am very familiar with the, uh, the work you did uh, bodying Mike Bloomberg, which I quite appreciate <laughs> oh. in the last few weeks. Uh, could you tell my audience a little bit about that if they don't know?
0: Yeah, so uh, Benjamin Dixon, host of The Benjamin Dixon Show, it's a podcast we've been doing for about five years now, I've been heavy in politics for ten years, um, and it took all that time to finally get some breakthrough, (laughs) and it came as a result of a video that literally, uh, audio rather, that literally dropped in my lap, Um, and I say literally, and I mean it figuratively, obviously, Um, (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't. Really set out to find it Uh, three Google searches later and there it was and I uh, cut up this audio of Michael Bloomberg saying some extremely racist um, and some extremely authoritarian crap. Um, And so I um, chopped it up and I just used my network on Twitter to push it as hard as I could. We were able to break through to the mainstream media and they immediately started covering. Um, He started seeing a drop in the polls. Um, And then eventually he quit. Now, he didn't quit because of that video. He quit because the moderates in the party pushed him out because of the success that Joe Biden had in South Carolina ahead of Super Tuesday. But we'll take whatever wins we can get.
1: Yeah, I also like to think that my uh, Bernie bro uh, comments about him uh, that he used in, he used me in a video about Bernie Bros. It doesn't oh, really? really make any sense, but I would like to think I had some hand in bringing <laughs> him down just by association. Yeah. I don't know. There it is. There he was intimidated. Is. Yeah, <laughs> he's good. He stuck his head in a toilet after that. Like I told you
2: I found that uh, incident a little surprising because you would have thought that he's you know he's spending so much money on this campaign that he would have like gotten that stuff wiped. Yeah. Off the Internet, uh, like the Clintons do. They're pretty notorious for being really diligent about, like, taking every piece of gossip about Bill offline. Um, Do you think that was just, you know, uh, lack of uh, due diligence on their part or they just like there's just so much shit about him out there that it's insurmountable?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of both. I think there's a little bit of uh, arrogance and negligence there. Uh, But also there are so many videos like which one did you want to be the one that was the straw that broke the camel's back? Right. (laughs) Um, And it just so happens that um, I was ahead of the curve on this, Um, not even on purpose. Like I just Friday day. Before, uh, So I guess that was Monday was the 11th when I put it out. So what was that the 8th? So Friday, the 8th of February, I just decided I was going to shift gears and focus on Michael Bloomberg. Monday morning, three Google searches later, there's this audio. And so I think it's a it's both a, a product of overconfidence as well as uh, they just like what were they going to pull down? Because as soon as I put that one out, there was a flood of other videos that came out. Any one of them could have been as uh, viral as the first. Mm. Uh, and there was also a little controversy
2: because a lot of uh, supporters of Elizabeth Warren had been crediting her with ending Bloomberg's campaign, uh, and then other people were pointing out – I don't know. It was actually you who kind of um, spearheaded this in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to ask, well, because a lot of them I saw – did acknowledge this uh so what were some of like the cringiest apologies you got from foreign <laughs> supporters for uh, erasing you out of the narrative
0: what a hell that's a hell of a way to spin the question man <laughs> um so I don't know, man. It's it's all it's all cringe if you ask me, because the way <laughs> I see it, like it was it was an alley oop. Like I, I'm I'm less of a fan of Elizabeth Warren today as uh, because of how everything played out with her and not endorsing Sanders. Um, but prior to that. I like to think of it as an alley oop between a basketball play between me and Warren. Um like Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Like I alley ooped it and she slam dunked it. Like she <laughs> she did she did put the nail in the coffin for sure. Uh-huh because and even more so than Bernie, like Bernie, Bernie's going to have to turn the corner and actually just get a little nasty, right? He's going to have to get a little more forceful because that was his moment. He got yeah. the first chance to speak at the debate that came up immediately after we released that video. Uh, he had the first chance to speak and he didn't nail it. Elizabeth Warren came around the corner and bodied the hell out of Michael Bloomberg. So um, I, I saw all the apologies and some of them were really cringe. One was like, oh, I didn't mean to erase the work of a black man this, that this is that And I'm like, uh, yeah whatever okay let's so just um let's just move on to the next thing and um i do i need the credit no it's cool like I, i've gotten enough credit let's just move on to the next thing oh uh, that's right. so very generous of you so very generous she, and mature
1: she for sure was referencing the stuff that you dug up right mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah oh yeah 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 you know that that no it was a one-to-one <laughs> uh that you know it was the video that they referenced specifically Uh, At the at the debate and that was cool. I'm like, holy shit, my shit just made it to the debate stage, the presidential debate. So that for me, I was like, I'm fucking good, man. Uh, And and then everybody wanted me to come and and do interviews and stuff. And now I get to do podcasts with everybody who's got some dope ass podcasts like you guys. So I'm good. Like I don't I don't need the credit. Don't get me wrong. I will you know probably get a couple of articles written about me. I might you know I'm not going to wait for them to write it. I'm going to call them and say, hey, you need to write this article about me (laughs) because I I took down a fucking oligarch. So I'm humble, you know, but I'm not. <laughs> naive, like we're gonna we're gonna make sure the story is told and and we capitalize on it so that we can continue doing this independent media stuff. The only thing I'm really concerned about is the fact that it, you know giving Elizabeth Warren all the credit will take away from the importance the the role that in, independent media played in it.
1: Mm. yeah for yeah. sure I know the week you're having cause I uh, I had a dumb thing where Homeland Security came to my house and um <laughs> you know then I went and did all the podcasts about it and yeah I mean yeah. it's it's great for your uh, your little you know if your platform or whatever but right. it, ultimately at the end of the day I care more about taking down ice than um you know whatever the fuck uh if someone else were to if Elizabeth Warren were to get on a uh, debate stage and do the joke I did about killing ice agents I wouldn't be that mad uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I would just be glad it's being told. In fact, I think that would be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, something independent media has been talking about for a while is the record of Joe Biden, the uh, policies, the connections of Joe Biden. Uh, And one thing that mainstream media has not picked up on quite yet, I I have a feeling they will – Talk about this a lot more if he clinches the nomination is the senility, the cognitive decline. Uh, right now, you're seeing that mostly from independent media who's talking about that. Do you think we're going to have time to get that into the uh, public sphere, to
0: get that into the consciousness of, of primary voters before it's before it's too late? You know, I think we have gotten it in there. I think it's there. I think I think we're at a, at the stage of the decline in the Democratic Party where they reject outright factual information mm-hmm. so they are aware they are completely aware of the fact that um Joe Biden does um does suffer from severe cognitive decline i think it's evident from people who definitely evident, um, from, uh, for people who hear him. Um, I don't think he's capable of doing more than a five minute speech without being filled with not gaps. These aren't gaps. These are clear examples of cognitive decline, whether you want to diagnose it as senility or, or dementia or Alzheimer's, whatever the case, I, I don't know which it would be, but it's one of, it's something, <laughs> something's going on there. And so can it get it? So It is in the psyche of the national discourse. However, the Democrats are at a stage of decline where they are now rejecting factual information in order to protect their power. So it's at a situation where they see it. They just don't care. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's also just like an incredible power of spin. Like if they want to launder these mm -hmm. points through the media, they can uh, sort of they can turn it one way or the other. Like one thing I've noticed is that uh, as soon as Biden started to come to the forefront, um something he started to say to get in front of the issue was that he had a stutter um they also sort of like started to perpetuate that whole he's the gaff guy thing or whatever which is like on its face even if it was just that also not good i mean we're running him against (laughs) a very mean president you know um but i mean yeah one thing that concerns me is that um I, i think that we're seeing these large showings of just older voters in uh, like in Michigan where, you know, he beat Bernie and uh, you know, we're, the problem here is, is being that like young people aren't showing up and uh, older. I mean, I, I have my suspicions about voter suppression and the way they're like uh, eking out the data and stuff. Um, and we might find out that Bernie won stuff later on that they just didn't report or whatever. I don't know. But uh, point being that like older people, and I say this because I'm a lurker in many like Biden and Bloomberg Facebook groups and stuff like that. Are going to be less um, keen on using the senility thing as an insult. I I would argue because they're fucking senile too, you know. And it's like something they might be <laughs> self conscious about or something. Um, but I don't know. It's cra- It's just I don't know what to do with it though because like to me it's a. Uh, I think it's true, and I also think that um, it's completely hypocritical of anyone to defend Biden's, uh, you know, sundowning brain while at the same time having attacked Bernie for uh, for being old or whatever for, you know, the last however many years. Um, yeah. I- go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that they're just doing a similar thing with, like, uh, just age in general. Like, I was just watching this interview with Pete Buttigieg where he's talking about why he endorsed Biden and, uh, something really funny came up, which is that they asked him about black voters and how he just never really had them. And, uh, he, you know, he admits it. He he goes, uh, you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, some things are about time. And he, when he's talking about endorsing Biden, he goes, you have to admit the guy's got, you know, decades and decades and decades of time, like put into, uh, building this relationship with the black, uh, you know, community or whatever, which, um, I don't know how true that is. <laughs> I think it's like a, maybe more of a recent phenomenon. Um, but, well, I don't know. That could go either way. But um, but at the same time, Buttigieg is one of the many people that spent, you know, fucking months and years uh, hammering someone like Sanders for being too old and you know, downplaying the fact that the he's old means he's consistent and he's built all these relationships and stuff, not relationships, but like ideological commitments and stuff. It's just fucking spin. I guess I'm just like really, really, really kind of blackpilled about the media right now. They'll find a way to make yeah. the fact that Biden's sundowning into like a good thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, which is what they did on uh, Monday or Tuesday when he's talking to That factory worker and, you know, regardless of whether or not you agree with the guy, he's asking a a reasonable question, um, you know, in a pretty respectful way, honestly. Uh, And Biden and, you know, and I think Bernie needs to say this in the debate on Sunday, You, you know, leaving aside all the senility stuff and all that, just focus on the fact he was talking to a voter who approached him in a, reasonable way and started swearing at him and threatened to fight him you don't have to suggest anything else you can just say that's not the way you win (laughs) you know it's just bad politicking
1: the the line now from people that like biden is oh that means he's tough and that means he's good against trump but i mean (sighs) you can just see it right down the middle when bernie's mean it means he's unlikable
0: when biden's mean it means he's tough yep that's I, and that's the that's the nature of of what we're up against. And that's I think one of the things we have to realize as pundits, as podcasters and just participants in this political process. Hell, that was a lot of alliteration. Uh, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. One thing we have to realize is that we're not dealing with good faith actors. The Democratic Party is not engaging with us in good faith They're going to spend to protect their power And we should have expected that from the beginning Because that's what powerful people do And so they're going to spend everything The media is going to be complicit They're going to spend everything in favor of insulating themselves From uh, a Sanders administration Which would be a direct threat to their power Yeah, yeah. I agree
1: um, Let's see um, Let's talk well, a little Wait, do you have one, Anderson? No, no, go ahead. Um, I was gonna say, let's talk a little bit. I'm gonna be getting ahead of myself here in terms of the things I have mapped out, but um, I was curious uh, to ask you, Ben, a little bit about um, this take on uh, black voters regarding Sanders and uh, Biden right now, because um, me and Andrew were talking about this before the show, and there's kind of this interesting thing that people do where they. Um, preface, you know, their entire argument by saying that, like, well, black voters are not a monolith, and then, you know, and then they sort of <laughs> proceed to treat them as one, and right now we're seeing, I mean, I guess I'm not a, you know, I'm a comedian, I'm an amateur analyst of all of this or whatever, but it seems to me like uh, the split between, um, you know, the that the part of that base that Biden and Sanders have are uh, both regional and also, like, uh, generational um, yeah. Can you explain? And also, this?
2: like, and also, like, it seems like it's the minority of that demographic who is actually like a, of registered Black Democrats in the South. A minority of that are the ones who are actually voting and are voting mm. for Biden. It's like such a small sliver of just a huge, massive, contradictory group.
0: Yeah, so it's it's a mix, right? So Biden certainly has a commanding lead amongst a certain type of black voter, and that is older voters. I mean, it, it really is consistent with um, uh, what you see with white voters, like older. People rock with Joe Biden. Boomers are rocking with Joe Biden. The same phenomenon is there in the black community, but it specifically can be seen in older conservative Southern black voters. South Carolina is one of the most conservative states I've ever been to. I went for the weekend of the election, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I've never been in a place more conservative than than that. And I live in Georgia. Um, And so um talking to the people there, I knew by Friday night that Bernie Sanders was going to lose. I just didn't realize how big he was going to lose because there was a visceral reaction that they had towards Bernie Sanders. Um, and it was it was both the result of just mentioning his name as well as his policies. And so it I think what we're seeing is in our older generations, they are becoming so conservative as they get older, um, because if you think about it, they got theirs. They're fine. Most of them have pensions. They have retirements. They have savings. They have 401ks. You know, they're not living lavishly, but they're comfortable and they don't want anyone to rock the boat. And they're upset with their kids. Right. They're upset. uh, uh, They're upset with their kids for not doing well and they blame their kid individually they're they're mad because their children have to borrow money from them but they don't take time to look at the fact that this is systemic and endemic it's across the board like job, millennials are not doing we do not have as much now as our parents had at our age and that is systemic and so what's frustrating about our elders is that they got theirs in a system that provided them the opportunity to get theirs. They could not survive or thrive in the system that we're living in now, and yet they are the biggest barrier to our success.
1: Mm. Yeah, you that think there actually is- reminds me. I was I did stand-up in Greenville uh, a while back, and uh, people were like... Um, very put off by cursing, especially like what I thought to be very, uh, milk toast, like vanilla mm. and offensive cursing, which is saying like the word goddamn a lot. Um, okay. Yeah. People come up to me after the show and they were like, yeah, that's a big no, no down here. And I thought it was really weird. And then when we were all canvassing like a few weeks ago, um, I think it was my friend Jeremy Hammond said, uh, he was talking to somebody in Massachusetts who was saying, um, this he was talking about uh somebody who opened one of the bernie rallies no one could remember who it was when we were talking about this in the car but he was saying oh yeah like that person was like cursing and all this stuff and they were like that's not gonna fly in south carolina and i remember being this really weird detail where i was like man this like socially conservative stuff is something we might not have our like our eyes on
0: yeah yeah no i listen um the social conservatism in the democratic party is and and In general, I know you're speaking like in general in terms of like a town, a city and just across the region, but it is pervasive in the Democratic Party. They used to say we're socially, socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Now they're really socially conservative as well. Uh the south particularly like the rejection of lgbtq rights even if they're democrats like you saw the um it wasn't even just the south i guess the midwest in the first uh primary one of the democratic voters an an elderly white woman or older white woman um she was like oh he's gay i'm not gonna vote let me take my vote back i'm (laughs) like really are you are we serious here and Uh so i i think we just have a difference of values and i think that it is we're at a threshold where we're going to have to decide whether or not we're going to move forward with the Democratic Party. Um, I think getting rid of Donald Trump is important, but I don't think that I'm going to use my platform or my energy. If Joe Biden gets the nomination, I don't think I'm going to use my energy to force, you know, try to compel people to vote for Joe Biden. I'm just going to point out the flaws of of Donald Trump, because I think people have put up with the two party system long enough and everyone should be able to vote their prerogative. Mm. Well, a lot of postmortems have been written now about Super Tuesday, even going back to
2: South Carolina for the the Sanders campaign. And do do you think there is anything he could have done differently there or was just the the writing on the wall from the beginning, the fact that it was going up against Joe Biden?
0: Uh, Could he have done anything different with regards to Joe Biden? Um, Well, I I think I, I think in general, Bernie Sanders is actually a good dude who doesn't want to go negative. Yeah. Um. And I think with his own personal speech, like he'll run negative ads. But I mean, can somebody show me where he's really going hard in the paint in a negative way against, a, you know, he's still calling Joe Biden his friend. Like and I know that's a kind of a, a rhetorical device to set it up and then come back and say, you know, something negative about it. I, I know he does that as a technique, but I think he could have really made the case that Joe Biden is not electable. Yeah. Right. But he keeps making the case that Joe Biden, that anybody's electable against him. <sighs> Trump. And yeah. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. You know, right. what's really weird is we were talking about that
1: thing where, uh, you know, where you alley-ooped Elizabeth Warren or whatever. And I remember back during that debate, it kind of reinvigorated a lot of support for her. Obviously not that much, but um, <laughs> but the line that I heard from a lot of people, were was, there was like a theory going around that she was gunning for some sort of VP situation in that move because like VPs are often uh, the attack dog for the president yeah. or the yep. presidential candidate rather. And then obviously that uh, didn't really pan out and, um, you know, she just kind of did her own thing and went all full black pill, joker fight or whatever. And is, uh, who knows what the hell's going on now. But, um, but I thought it was kind of interesting cause it took the progressive lane and these two people that you could have argued were somewhere within it. Although I think there are a lot of other factors, um, that went into why Warren, you know, didn't really pan out. But, uh, I mean, you have one of them that went mean and one of them that's staying too nice. And, uh, neither of these things is really working that well. Uh, the The playing nice that Bernie's doing is at least hitting a wall. I mean you can't argue that it hasn't gotten him to where he is, but now one to one against Biden I mean I, I don't know I guess I'm hearing a lot of theories that like in order for anything to happen from this point out, he might have to drastically reimagine his uh campaigning strategy and one of those things is like what if he what if he actually attacked Biden now you know yeah. Yeah,
2: that's one of the frustrating things to watch, and many people have pointed this out, but he keeps saying, whenever asked, he's like, yeah. yeah, I do think Joe could win. Which, no, like, maybe you don't have to say it outright that he can't, but at least raise doubts, be be really clear about yeah. raising doubts. And yeah. he was doing this before Iowa, and then something, for some reason, he's he's moderating a bit. Uh, what I worry about is on Sunday, because I think there are a lot of factors that we're in such a weird, perfect storm of things that could actually help bernie in some ways but what i worry about is the electability thing because that's been the decisive factor in so many of these these contests so far and bernie keeps saying and he is right and the 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 facts ultimately are on his side that to win the general election you need a huge amount of youth turnout and that is true but the the argument there is maybe a little too nuanced to fit into a soundbite when you're confronted with the question, well, why are, haven't young people shown up for you so far? Because, I mean, that's a, it's a bad faith question, but to really respond to it, you have to get kind of granular in a way that I don't know if, if he's going to be able to do that on, on the debate stage.
0: Yeah. I think, I think he has to be able to turn the questions on their head. Um, when, whenever this is what I do, at least whenever I'm faced with a question that's in bad faith, I, I I have to attack the question, right? To give it any credence means to buy into their narrative and, and then they already won. So there is no, there is no real good answer that you can give to people who, um, are going to engage in good, bad faith. And so you flip the question on your, on the head and just kind of, Break it down and say, like, you know, if uh, in fact, the the youth turnout has increased. Right. Um, and and then when it has increased, we've seen massive voter suppression taking eight hours for students to vote. Um, so I would focus on those things. But, you know, to each his own. He's going to you know, he's burning. He's like 80 years old. He's not going to change now. So, you know, he <laughs> just just get out there and do the best he can. One thing I'll say about this win, lose or draw. He has done more for the progressive movement than anyone I have that than any of us. combined um, because he's given us a place to solidify, to coalesce, and to find our footing. And now we have an organized left that we aren't taking no for an answer. And I don't think any of that would have happened without Bernie's both runs. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I do think that there's something you can learn from uh,
1: his uh, performance as someone on the, the, the national stage running for the presidency, which is that, you know, I've been talking about this spin thing so much, and what we're describing is that you're watching a 78 year old man have to like perform the acrobatics and verbal judo to get around this spin because you have to have like a sort of uh like an installed software already in your your little you know debate program uh that is anti all this bad faith stuff coming at you um you honestly need to have your own like sort of counterpoint version of the spin bad faith thing you have to deconstruct like every single argument they're going to come at you with so um you know at least getting to watch somebody do that on like a a, you know on on this level is I think very informative for yeah I mean if he doesn't win this one then whoever the hell goes up next time because uh yeah I mean like I don't know, I guess what's interesting to me is people always imagine, like, well, what if, you know, it was Warren in the general debate, or what if, you know, uh, Hillary had done this or whatever, and it's like, well, anyone that you wanted to be would have had to have uh, dealt with a lot of this stuff anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, not Hillary, you know what I mean. Um... I think, uh, let's move forward a little bit and talk about the virus. Uh, here, I'm actually gonna plug in the, uh, the Chet Hanks thing, right?
2: What's up, everyone? Um, yeah, it's true. My parents got coronavirus. Crazy. Um, they're both down in Australia right now because my dad was shooting a movie down there. Um, but I just got off the phone with them. Uh, they both are fine. They're not even that sick. They're not worried about it. They're not tripping, but they're going through the necessary health precautions, obviously. But, uh, I don't think it's anything to be too worried about. I appreciate um, everyone's concern and the well wishes, but um, I think it's all going to be all right. But I appreciate it, and uh, just everybody stay safe out there. Much love.
1: Uh, That was Chet Hanks, who is uh, (laughs) one of Tom Hanks' large – uh, fail sons I don't know if he's a fail son. I don't know what he does. Um, he
2: was. I think it's pretty safe to call him a fail, uh, fail son. I don't know about Colin. He might be
1: yeah. more of a more of the W category. One of them is a rapper. Was that the one that we were just. That's Chet. Yeah, okay. yeah. That yeah. makes Trit, sense. Yeah. Because he gave this video uh, uh, statement about his parents having coronavirus just like shirtless. And he uh, has all these like crazy tattoos and stuff. Brian Gar on Twitter said he looks like a dollar bill, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> he literally has the eye like in the middle of his chest and then just a bunch of like, you know, blackish, greenish ink or whatever. Um,. So, yeah, coronavirus. no doubt you've heard about it at this point if you're uh listening, I hope you have um, now you know um, so yeah I don't know this the funniest thing about coronavirus to me is that like I've been super just keyed into like the uh, the primaries and stuff and just politics and it slowly occurred to me over the last week that a plague has just been spreading in the
0: background of all of this. <laughs> Which is just. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I know that's not a funny thing, but the way you put it, man, it it makes it, it it literally is the truth. But like, how do we not see? No, strike this. We should have seen this coming because we got warnings all the way back in January. And so while we're over here playing politics, the plague has just been like spreading. No, it's <laughs> yeah. so on
1: the nose. It's one of those things where if you wrote a movie about this time, that would be like kind of heavy handed as a metaphor. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, yeah. It,
2: yeah. This really does feel like a a sci-fi short story from like 30 years ago. Like This could easily be written by, I don't know, Philip K. Dick or George Saunders or somebody. The the president is a game show host. A plague is killing people all over the world. Uh, There is a socialist who has one chance to save the human race by going into a sterile room with no audience and debating a senile man like <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <laughs> where
1: we're at right now. And walking <laughs> Phoenix just wants to be a clown in the streets of uh, the city <laughs> somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And, um, it, it's also like, there's just like kind of just white knuckle, like, attention to it because everyone running for president now or who is president or whatever everyone involved is old as hell so uh yeah you know anything could happen not even gonna say it out loud but who knows you know (laughs) no
0: no no. i think it's reasonable right i I think a lot of times we don't like to say the obvious but we're dealing with three candidates uh between biden uh trump and bernie who are all in their late mid or late 70s they are the perfect targets for this for the this virus, I think it's irresponsible if people aren't having the conversations about replacing them because they're out on the campaign trail. Like I hope at this point they've taken precautions and they've all gone in and they're not going to be stumping anymore, right? But Donald Trump has been exposed to it multiple times. There's a possibility that this man has it, and it, the death rate at, at his age is about 15%. So we are literally in a situation where Donald Trump could not, could be a victim of this. Of this virus. And so I think we have to start talking about how do we transition some key power positions. Um, and of course, the presidency is already taken care of. Vice, Princess, uh, Vice President Pence will just step in. Um, but what do you do in the middle of a campaign when your two top candidates, uh, Biden and Bernie, potentially can be taken? either out or sidelined. Even if they don't die, they would certainly be sidelined by this.
2: Yeah. It is weird how the older they get, the more cogent they are. Like, I, like <laughs> Trump, you know? <laughs> like, that Bernie is the most, shit. yeah, is the sharpest one out of all three, and he's the oldest.
1: I think it would be funny if Trump got the virus because he absolutely would pretend like he didn't have it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, like, that thing going no, on I'm when doing, someone I'm gets doing, bit I'm by this. a zombie in a movie, and they just slowly become more and more sunken looking. Yeah,
0: he's the guy. He's the guy on The Walking Dead who was—I don't know if you guys watched that in the season one, where he was like sitting in the back of the RV, like, "Oh, my bones are aching so much." Just, you know, he was co- he was covering up his wound for the first. Three episodes, and then finally he died. So uh, that Trump is totally that guy. He would totally <laughs> pretend like he wasn't infected. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got a great immune system. It beats yeah, back so many things. Right.
1: <laughs> <Best>. <laughs> People are saying it right. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, the, the other the other thing that's happening is that all the freaking voters that are showing up to support Biden are all old too. So I right. mean, <laughs> there is some sort of you know like, catastrophic scenario here where that alters, you know, Florida or something like
0: that, where they all live. No, Um, no, it it alters everything. Like, it changes old folks are going to be and they rightfully should like so there's two parts of this right there's a part of this that's like exactly what you all are saying like it's kind of eerily like a story that's being written um and it's being the the narrator's a little too on the nose because the people who are literally standing in the way of our progress for the future are the people who are the most vulnerable to this plague and they get there to this to this virus and they are the most exposed when they go out to their political rallies and they go out to vote right <laughs> so it's like you cannot write a script like this and actually to get it uh, approved in Hollywood because they'll be like, "Okay, come on, this is a little too ridiculous." Um, <laughs> but but weird, we are really looking at a long term event here, right? I think a lot of people aren't taking into consideration that there is no vaccine. So the fact that there is no vaccine means that there is a, a, at least a year, a, a six months if you're lucky, but realistically at an entire year before we have a vaccine. So that's going to put us well past the next election, hell, past the next inauguration before we get excuse me a vaccine for this which means there are some long-term implications for how this entire election plays out yeah well yeah. i mean one of the things that it's
1: literally affecting is the concept of like gatherings of people which i yeah. i mean that politics is freaking like that's a huge mechanism within this we are thinking in terms of like groups and herds and uh one thing that's going to affect is the you know possibly there being like an audience at this next debate or any of the events coming up or you know they're talking about canceling um the convention in milwaukee among yep. other things south by southwest in austin has been canceled uh the entire nba season has been canceled um all sorts yep. of like yep. Uh, the the rodeo. Roseanne has been canceled. Roseanne has been canceled. Um, uh, the the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, where I'm from, that's like a huge deal down the there. The NBA? Also... Did you did, did yeah. you say the
0: NBA already? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah I, I, I sorry, I didn't hear that. NCAA
2: that's... too. NCAA basketball.
0: I mean, it it really is going to. So I mean, and that's just the politics of it. You think about the the economics of it, man. We're yeah. we're we're headed into some um dark dark days if we don't. And this is so on the nose. If we don't embrace some form of socialism, right. we are screwed. So right. we're going to have to do a universal basic income. We're going to have to put a moratorium on on like most debts, uh, evictions, um, um, uh, repossessions, foreclosures. We're going to have to prevent cities from cutting off utilities. Um All so that we can survive, not as a people, because humans are going to survive. But if you want this economy to survive, if you want the global economy to survive, you're going to literally have to embrace socialism uh, on some level.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel bad about politicizing this at all because the stakes are so high here and thinking about the electoral implications. But like like from a from a public health administrative perspective, the only solution here, especially since we don't have a vaccine yet, is to just implement Bernie Sanders platform. Yeah. But that's. That's what we have to do, and I think that that is going to be his his strength going into the debate, and I think hopefully he'll be able to make an electability argument as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. one of the things I can't stop thinking about is, like, when mike bloomberg was in the debate there was that one debate where everyone was just cheering for him and booing bernie sanders and you went it was hilarious yeah wow this guy just bought the audience that's just hilarious that that's part of this that's the part of this story that bloomberg tells us it's like look what money can buy or whatever but this next Mm -hmm. thing i mean it's almost got me a little like tinfoil hatty. like when i found out that um you know biden's probably greatest weakness is just the fact that he might have to speak in public suddenly they're talking about canceling the debate. They're talking about there being no audience to you know to laugh at him. He was talking about sitting down in a chair during the debate. Um, yep. It's all. It just seems like very convenient. I'm sure it's just you know that's just life. Uh, it's we're just terribly <laughs> unlucky for that reason. But um, the, all these things are happening that are so ironic and so on the nose. And probably my favorite of them is the fact that. Um, Pete Buttigieg, when he dropped out of his uh, his presidential race and, uh, or his campaign and decided to endorse Biden and get behind all this stuff, is now on this uh, victory lap type thing where he's just going <laughs> around and, and talking on talk shows and stuff like that, and uh, the big news about him this week is that he will be hosting the Jimmy Kimmel show, like late night with Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> <laughs> While Jimmy Kimmel is is hosting, like, who wants to be a millionaire or something? I don't know. I'm under a hundred. I don't and watch guess TV. who's back as a writer, Jack <laughs> Alisson, <laughs> yeah, writing yeah, his entire monologue. Yeah, that would be so good. Um, <laughs> but the thing, I guess the the funniest scenario to me is that like Pete Buttigieg, you know, is an egomaniac and a crazy person and wanted to be president really bad for the reasons of you know he wants to speak in front of large crowds like an emperor and you know have them scream and be bloodthirsty for him and he didn't get it but he did get the uh, the second prize for people that are in the deep state which is that you get to do comedy sorry there are a lot of them um (laughs) but he he got to he gets to host late night i think the funniest thing ever is if they don't tell him right before he goes on stage and they're like oh by the way there's no audience tonight and this is the end of his tragedy is that he finally you know (laughs) he finally gets Oh, oh that's good but it's just uh just an empty studio audience where he has to speak in front
0: of a teleprompter and can't Uh, feel, you know, worshiped or whatever. I don't know. Right. He can't, he can't feel that energy. Like, so I've done, I've done live stuff, um, with live audiences and, uh, on stage. There's nothing, there's nothing, um, more fulfilling or terrifying than standing on a stage in front of thousands of people. Um, and I would not exchange that. For an empty television studio for the world, it's just like there's no comparison. Yeah, sure, I know, you know I've been in the studio and and it's just me and a camera, and I know millions of people are watching. But it is nothing like what you get when you that that euphoria that you get from getting the applause of thousands of people. <laughs> and that is exactly what Pete is going to be robbed of. I mean, he, you can tell he wanted it so
1: bad because he like faked that video where the lights went out and then people were like waving their you know, <gasps> phones at him. Like He was like. This is uh, pathological, I think, I, and I, as a as a performer, I understand the thing that he was uh, hunting. So I think it would just be, be so funny if it happened, but um, I don't know. With any of these things, uh, with this or with like other gatherings of people that uh, suck. Um, you know, really, I can't figure out whether it's funny or if the if the crowd gets canceled or if they all just infect each other with the damn yeah, virus. Just take it, <laughs> just take it.
0: <laughs> so that's the other thing that's being floated around. Like I, I read an article uh, about Boris Johnson's. Um, floating like this is not official and there's nothing that he he spoke this is like a an aid to an aid or something said that they're floating the idea of getting the healthiest people infected so that they can create herd immunity um so like this is some we're in some really uncharted territory here we're in some weird times here yeah i mean
1: dude i was just like looking at uh, plane tickets cuz i'm doing a little touring and like you can fly across the country right now for like 29$ that oh, is hell yeah. not normal. <laughs> um, the other thing that's happening that is, uh, you know, probably something uh, that is illustrative of, you know, capitalism in the system we're living in is um, rich people are just buying up bunkers right now. This. Yeah literally was a season of american horror story um it's happening in real life uh there are these bunkers in in south dakota that someone is just selling off that used to be military bunkers um that rich people are buying up this has been a trend that i'll i'll link to these guardian articles that i'm uh, reading from or in the show notes or whatever but um but this has been a trend since Trump was elected because as soon as he was elected, obviously people went kind of catastrophic and, you know, felt like the world was ending and stuff like that. And um, so something that uh, is kind of interesting is all of the tech millionaires and billionaires in Silicon Valley a few years ago all bought, like, uh, compounds in New Zealand. Um, Peter Thiel was one of the first ones. Um, Another... One of these guys. I'm See if I can find the quote. Uh, but th- there's like an in joke among like tech billionaires that like uh, you know you got you you're buying some real estate in New Zealand. Wink, wink. Like they all kind of know it's like this this um what do you call it like a a
0: go bag sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah. They 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 know. <laughs> Listen. There. There. Here's the thing that I, I kind of talked about on my patrons episode today. Um. Like we. We know what's coming. We always knew. We knew about the coronavirus for years, for decades, and we didn't develop a vaccine. Now, what rating is this show, by the way, like profanity wise? Oh, uh, no. Uh, okay, it's yeah. curse okay. First so, word in the title. How? The, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you're right. <laughs> um, how the fuck did we know about this for decades and we did not even think to start developing a vaccine after SARS? Like this is this the the coronavirus is connected to SARS and MERS? And we knew the coronavirus was there. It just had not jumped from the animals to humans yet. And yet we did not develop a vaccine. So I I say this in context of what you're talking about, about the bunkers and stuff. The rich people, they know they're buying up. You know, they they're the ones who are able to get tests that the the NBA players are able to get tests. Uh, Tom Hanks were able to get the coronavirus test, Uh, you know, so so they know they're buying They're they're being prepared. But here's the stupid thing about it is like if we're not all prepared, then none of us are prepared. Right. Because you can't escape. You can't es- escape a, 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 a pandemic. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Wait till everyone dies or wait till everyone gets herd immunity? Well, that, I that's, mean, we could try to wait it out, I guess. I, I guess that's what they're trying to do. That's what's so funny about this is because like um,
1: all these like rich people are saying, uh, you know, they're buying up things like private doctors to try to get themselves tested earlier. They're buying like um, a private uh, luxury like terminal service at airports so they can sort of be cordoned off from the rest of the people that are flying um this is the quote i found from that it's from the, the linkedin co-founder reed hoffman he said uh saying you're buying a house in new zealand is kind of a wink wink say no more he said which is like so funny because it but before this happened i would have just assumed he meant he was a pedophile but now <laughs> he's a survivalist apparently uh apparently this is something that they've had in the bag forever but um yeah but i mean uh, these people would rather like be the last 300 people on earth than just redistribute their wealth in a way that would actually beat this disease. Cause I mean, even if you live in a bunker, like what, what happens? The disease is still out there, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, that's the thing. Like, there is something too if you're young enough, like I'm right at that threshold, like they say if you're 40 and above that, that, you know, especially in America, you have any kind of underlying conditions, if, if you're obese and, you know, I'm good and overweight. Uh, so if any of those things you could, you know, it's not going to work out too well for you, but for people who are young and they're healthy you know, they probably can go and get this and, and be done with it in no time flat unless they have some underlying conditions that they aren't even aware of. Um, I say that to say the longer these rich people stay in their bunkers, the more likely they're going to die when they get infected with this. So mm. it's like, you need to, <laughs> like, we need to do something now unless you plan on staying in your bunker for a year and a half until a vaccine is developed. Yeah,
1: they're turning right. themselves into, like, uh, aristocrats who, uh you know... It's
0: like
2: can, a Howard Hughes situation,
1: yeah. Yeah, like, you're no longer part of the biome or whatever that is the rest of humanity so it's your body's like gonna react negatively to it um here's another pretty funny story this guy ken langone who's the co-founder of home depot the uh you know fucking uh housing chain uh what do you call it um he's an 84 year old billionaire and he called an executive and top scientist at NYU's Langone Health, the New York hospital that's named after him. Uh, So he was able to go to the hospital that's named after him to get tested, right? Um, He said, what I've been told by people who are smarter than me in disease is as of right now, it's a bad flu. So he's also an idiot. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have a theory that uh, I I saw The View today and Whoopi Goldberg, (laughs) was wearing a top hat, which is
0: <laughs> I saw that characteristic
2: of her she usually doesn't wear hats at all, let no, alone she needs a
0: monocle. That's <laughs>
2: But I'm wondering like if that's actually the best preventative gear to be wearing right now, and it just no one can afford it. But like the top one percent, maybe that's <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're not telling us that the real gear yeah. is a top hat and a monocle. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs>
1: uh, no, if any, I'm the only person who watched this season of uh, American Horror Story, I keep talking about, but they wear weird clothes like that in the bunker because it's a badly written TV show that's. Uh, post-Bernie Sanders and is trying to incorporate some sort of commentary on uh, class without really understanding it. So I mm-hmm. think that she's in the American Horror Story bunker. <laughs> it First could point. be. Yeah.
2: <laughs> or maybe, yeah, I, I think a monocle might have, like, maybe that was developed to, to uh, shield against diphtheria or something. You know, it has a very particular... Yeah.
1: Why, why uh, was that developed?
2: I don't know. <laughs> pink eye or You're something just, where you only have to it? Yeah, that's eye.
1: probably why.
2: So you can expect, inspect someone's butthole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like the plague doctor mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that's happening, I guess the thing that this should be contrasted with in a responsible reporting on the, uh, the news of coronavirus is you got these you know, billionaires who are jetting off to New Zealand, buying up military bunkers, um, trying to quarantine themselves from poor people while still flying, you know, skipping the lines at airports. Um, well, the other thing that's happening is that in San Francisco, there, uh, is obviously a huge, um, you know, sort of unhoused population because of the housing situation there and the cost of living inside. And, um, San Francisco has basically just decided to continue this practice of uh, like – I don't know what the word for it is. I'm looking for the cop word, the technical term. Basically just taking people's shit um, if you're homeless. Civilized
2: forfeiture? Something like that. that. No, that's a little different. Uh, Seizure? (laughs) Seizure?
1: Um, well, anyways, uh, this is a thing in San Francisco. Uh, if you're homeless, they just take your stuff. And someone was interviewed about it from the city, and they just said that uh, the quote was, that's what we do. So there you go. Um, <laughs> they uh, they uh, basically are creating situations where it's more and more dangerous to be homeless. You're less likely to be able to take care of yourself and keep yourself healthy and clean so that you can not spread
0: the virus. Um, it's complete shit shit. <laughs> It's, it's, it's not, you know, that's the other side of this, right? There are communities that are going to be um, impacted by this in ways that we haven't even been able to see because of, like, homelessness, because of um, uh, marginal housing, because of lack of access to health care, right? I mean, people who are not even going to go to the doctor because they know they don't have any insurance to go to a doctor. So, I, you know, and then on top of that, like we said earlier, the underlying conditions that people know they have— and some that people don't even know they have because they don't have insurance to go to a doctor. Right. So you have all these factors that make America uniquely fit to be the worst case scenario. Um, I saw one report saying upwards of one hundred and fifty million people could potentially get this at a death rate, a mortality rate of one percent. That's one point five million people who could potentially die. From this concentrated in our elders and then um, obviously trickling down to people with immune uh, with uh, immunodeficiencies and um, and people with underlying conditions. So um, we really but we still have an opportunity to get it right. But again, the last thing that compounding the complexity of this is Donald Trump. Right. His leadership in this has been abysmal. Now, I don't want to lay it all at his feet because I think that we should have enough separation of powers on the federal level, as well as enough um, states rights for states to go ahead and do what they need to do and not wait on the president of the United States. But it's almost like people. People are waiting around for cues from the president, and and I, I understand that's kind of how it works. We look for our cues from the president, and then we take our marching orders, and then we expound expand on them. Uh, but in this case, I think people need to step up and be like, look, fuck it, we're going to shut down our state. We're going to make we're going to do some quarantines in this area, and we know and we we know for a fact where the cases are in Georgia. They're in Fulton County, and they're not too terribly far from where I live. We really should have been like doing some type of um, containment. You know, more of a containment in this area uh, because that actually broke out at a school, right? So there's schools. We're not, you know, there it was brought to us from Italy. And then it spread to our schools. We could track that much, but we're not doing anything actively to, to stop it. And I'm wondering if everyone is just waiting on the president, because if you're waiting on the president, we're in fucking trouble. Well, Ben, yeah. I'm going
1: I'm to let you go here in a second. I just need to cap off this story uh, by telling you about one event that may make all of us a little bit more optimistic about what's going on in the world, which is that um – this French mayor has defended holding a massive Smurf rally despite coronavirus. His quote is, we must not stop living. So, uh uh, Mm -hmm. On Saturday, thousands of people dressed as Smurfs, the fictional blue gnome-like characters gathered in Landernau, France, to try to break a world record. The mayor of Landernau defended the decision, holding the rally despite concerns about the coronavirus. Uh, (laughs) More than 3,500 Smurf cosplayers gathered over the weekend in an attempt to break the Guinness World Record that was previously held by 2,762 Smurfs in Lothringen, Germany. Um, Oh, boy. Very important. Uh, I'll play some video of it. It's very funny. It's just a bunch of blue French people just saying, like, Hey, coronavirus is not real. Okay, they're they're saying, We figured we wouldn't worry, and that as French people... Uh, We wouldn't give up on our attempt to break the record, and now we're champions of the world. It's more important. The coronavirus is no big deal. It's nothing. (laughs) There's no risk. We're Smurfs. Yes, we're going to the Smurfize the coronavirus. (laughs) Smurferize. Troops in French. Yeah, uh, we're fucked.
0: (laughs) <laughs> i love it I, I i love it because of how stupid it is right they yeah. are fucking like we we really the biggest i, I said a couple things that are going to exacerbate the situation one is going to be donald trump two is going to be our, our reliance on this economic system people are going to go to work when they shouldn't because they're afraid they won't be able to pay their bills but then three just the sheer stupidity of human beings to be able to look at a situation like this and be like oh it's not real no motherfucker it really is real and you need to be able to adjust just your normalcy, right? We are so addicted to having normalcy that we are terrified of changing our day-to-day routine, <laughs> and that's the number one thing we need to change.
2: Hey, forget normalcy, try some vitamin C,
1: folks. <laughs> wow, damn, dude. <laughs> I do... <laughs> but it was, wow. it was good. It was good. There. <laughs> I felt it. A, that was an Andrews <laughs> yeah. Lee classic. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Um, go ahead and plug away. Let me know anywhere my listeners can find oh, you. L-
0: listen. Actually, I want to plug your show. Like, you, I mean, folks can find me on 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 Twitter at Benjamin P Dixon. But um, Poddam America. I love the name. I hope you guys can take over from uh, that other one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's the plan.
0: Because because uh, the name is better, and I think the mission is much uh, more needed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think our names are better, too. We're not
1: all named John and shit, you know, mean? <laughs> yeah, right? variety yeah, right. of
0: names. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I appreciate it, man. All right, well, I'll uh, see you around the Internet. All right, take care, fellas. Thank you, Benjamin. Hey, hey
0: thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really of course. It. Uh, Anytime. Thanks for all doing right, it. Take care, now. Bye-bye.
1: All right. All right, everyone. That was uh, Benjamin P. Dixon from uh, The Benjamin Dixon Show and from... Uh, I I'm just so happy about it. From taking down Mike Bloomberg, pretty badass. Yeah. Um, with the alley oop. Um, do we have anything to plug? Let's see. I'm going on tour unadvisedly. I <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to come to Atlanta. That one's still kind of uh, I'm figuring out in the next couple of days. But I might be at Atlanta in a couple of weeks, and then also uh, Florida with Street Fight. And uh, I'm doing a Bernie fundraiser here in New York. We've got our live show over the debate if it happens. Um, Bernie's not dead yet.
2: (laughs) That's on Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a a show for now in Boston on the 21st of March at the Riot Theater at 10 p.m. Um, Come out to that. Barring any deaths or uh, warnings from the CDC. That should be happening. We'll see. And, uh, yeah, follow me at Andersley here on Twitter. Thursley1 on Instagram.
1: Um, yeah, and if you're listening and uh, you have not become blackpilled or given up yet or been killed <laughs> by a plague doctor with the bird mask thing, um, you can still phone bank. You can still text bank. It's probably... A better idea than the door-to-door stuff right now. Um, Wow, I didn't even think about that. That's fucked up. Right.
2: Well, that's – you know what? People are going to be at home, so they're going to be sitting around, and they're going to have more time to answer phone calls. And God knows Biden's people are not – Calling, you know, we're the only ones who are going to be calling. No, oh, no, go
1: door to door with the Breaking Bad hazmat suit or the <laughs> the black Some... the bubonic plague bird with the top. Yeah, of that the thing. beak
2: thing. Yeah, flowers in
1: the nose. <laughs> and can, I, can I talk to you about dirty sanders? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Knock on people's windows. Don't don't go to the front door. Knock on the window. Shout. I don't want to come in. I might be infected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Read his platform to them uh, until they shoo you away. Um, no, but I think texting and, and yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I think that could work. Uh, a lot needs to happen, but I, you know, I'm still optimistic about, about something. Because Biden is going to have to defend a private insurance system in the midst of a plague. You know what you, know?
1: you could do? Is you go to door to door and you just cough on people, and then you tell them like you now have the coronavirus, and you put them in a situation like the crank movies where they have to get Medicare for All past or else they die, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a growth. You're um, now Jason Statham, and you have to you know jump on the tops of a bunch of buildings and shit to make sure that Bernie Sanders is elected president, and then uh, you know years from now we can go to the hospital.
2: And <laughs> what are the voting locations going to be like on Tuesday? They're just going to be like covered in plastic and put a mask on to go in. Like, what's that? I don't are they going to do anything? I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to shut some down, I assume, in like the Bernie areas. Um, who is even,
1: what is this Tuesday? Is it?
2: It's like 10- Illinois, Florida, Ohio. That's right.
1: Yeah. Um, well, is it Arizona this Tuesday?
2: Oh, yeah. I think Arizona, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Arizona's li- libertarian vibes, so it's going to be like uh, a bunch of people who, like, don't tell me I can't uh, not quarantine myself, you know? Right. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, they might Operation Chaos it. Some crazy, like, Republicans come out the vote for Bernie. Old people. Yeah, there's a ton of old people in Arizona, and a lot of them are going to stay home. And there's also large... Latin population so that should bode well I, I there's a good chance I'm going to eat my words on this and we're going to have to <laughs> ah god I was ready to do a whole episode today about like post Bernie the afterburn, like what do we do now um, but the crazy part of me is just like we can't give up this soon
1: <laughs> yeah I don't yeah. know I have a similar prediction about Arizona but I do not feel good about Florida <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be a heavy lift, but if he can at least
2: deny Biden, a, you know, some delegates there and then maybe pull off a win somewhere else that will,
1: I think, keep things alive. Yeah. I don't know. All right, well, uh, hey everyone, that was the show If you are a new listener, we have Bonus episodes every week On our Patreon At patreon.com slash poddamamerica We do a ton of extra shit We just did our live show At Caroline's for Super Tuesday The whole video and everything's back there If you want to check it out Um, You can also rate, review, subscribe to us All that bullshit Or you can send us hate mail I know a lot of you guys do that too I don't give a shit Every all press is good press, baby. Um, what else do we plug? Um, Twitter. We're on Twitter. I'm at Feral Jokes. I haven't plugged that in years. Um, at Anders Lee. Here. Is it A- at Anders Lee here? Uh huh. I keep forgetting. All right. Um, that's it. Keep listening. and uh, Stay safe and um, sanitize yourself. It's finished. It's finished. Okay.